Today we are uh, doing something of an epilogue on the book, uh, Practicing Thanksgiving, uh, Practicing Thankfulness. And uh, we have made our way through the entirety of this book, and this is uh, Pastor David inventing a, a conclusion to it that isn't here uh, in order to fill space with scheduling. Uh, but I, I hope that uh, what we'll do today will still be profitable to you. Well, let me pray and then we'll reflect on some texts of Scripture. Our Father in heaven, we do come into your presence this morning with thanksgiving upon our lips, acknowledging that there's no God like you, a God who has been pleased to take a people to yourself, to call us the sheep of your pasture, the flock of your care. Lord, we are in awe of your goodness to us, how you do not treat us as our sins deserve. And Father, we are in awe of your great gift for us, your, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we look at your word this morning, as we reflect upon what your word teaches us, that you would stir our hearts with affection unto you, that our lips might give thanks to you as we should. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Psalm 100 is a, a psalm that has the title, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Uh, we are in a season, obviously, as we, we've just come to the end uh, of Thanksgiving, uh, where we're remembering all the good things that the Lord has done for us. But I want us to reflect, as we've spent a lot of time in this book, talking about the duty, the responsibility of Thanksgiving. We've talked about, Jacob kind of taught us all this again last week. I'm not going to rehearse the whole book again, but that it's, it's right to give thanks, it's wise to give thanks. We've kind of really looked at the goodness of Thanksgiving, how Thanksgiving um, bears fruit in our own lives uh, as we're a people who are reflecting on the goodness of the Lord, even in the midst of affliction. The Lord is bringing uh, you know, gratitude out of our heart by showing us His goodness in the face of various adversities. Thanksgiving ought to accompany Everything that we do, I think that's really what we've seen in the book. And maybe, if anything, what this has done is brought a deeper level of conviction to your soul about how often you should be giving thanks and how it really must accompany uh, every prayer that you make every day that you live. Well, I want to reinforce that. And we begin, really, with this psalm for giving thanks in Psalm 100. And I'll read it. We've reflected on it a number of times. The psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Lots of things we could think on here, but I want you to note there in verse 4 that we're given a command in the midst of a bunch of other commands that the psalmist has given us to come before God with a certain heart, to come into God's presence with what we might call a particular manner, that we enter into the presence of God, His gates, with thanksgiving. Um, this is not optional. This is a duty to which we're commanded. But we all know, no matter what you've been through this week, and it could have been really great, 
we all know that when we come to the house of the Lord, as we gather with God's people, we struggle to have the right mindset to enter into God's presence and to properly give thanks to Him. So there's a bit of heart work that's necessary to stir up our affections, to refocus our minds, that we might come into God's presence with praise upon our lips and specifically give thanks to Him and bless His name. So as we think about how to do that, what I want us to do is to look at a number of other scriptures just to reinforce to us why it is we should come before the Lord with thanksgiving and how we can stir up our souls unto this duty. So we're going to think about the redemptive work of the Lord. We're going to think about the providential work of the Lord. We're going to think about our growth in Christ. We're going to think about just daily good gifts and how we ought to give thanks. And we're going to think about Thanksgiving even in the crucible. We'll see if we can get that far. So I'm going to bounce you around to a number of texts. We're just going to read and reflect. So if you'll turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And here we begin with the book of consolation in Jeremiah. This is, uh, as I mentioned last week in the sermon on Jeremiah 31, this is really where the breath of fresh air begins in a very hard book to read, uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah. But I want you to notice, and I want you to be listening for, uh, what God is doing and what it ought to produce in us. So I'm going to read a, a really long section out of this. I think I'll stop at verse uh, 22. So listen as I read. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, We have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet... He shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds. And foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable. And your wound is grievous, 
There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you, for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who make pray sorry, all who prey on you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will, I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Lots of stuff to, to think on there, but I want you to notice in the middle of that, in verse 18, when the Lord does what He says, sorry, 19, when the Lord does what He says uh, for the sake of His people, out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving. What's producing the thankfulness here? Why are God's people going to overflow with songs of thanksgiving? Because their enemies have been... Uh, push down, overthrown, no one to make you afraid anymore. Okay, uh, restoration for God's people. They brought folly on themselves. God brought covenant curse to them, but that didn't make an end of the people. The Lord struck them, but the Lord will raise them up. The Lord will bring them back. He will restore their fortunes. That said kind of at the beginning and then again uh, towards the end of our section. Anything else you see? Okay, the Lord's compassion. Uh, he will exercise His compassion upon His people. He will look upon them and pity them in their distress, even though they deserve their distress. God's compassion, in one sense, doesn't make any sense to us. Uh, we deserve to wallow in our iniquity and to be left with this incurable wound and just destroyed. But the Lord doesn't do that. He pities His people. Anything else you see that stands out to you with respect to why we should come before God with thanksgiving now? I was struck by uh, verse 16. as In verses 12 to 15, God is rehearsing the sin of His people. You know, there's, there's no medicine for you. You have an incurable wound. You've all your lovers have forgotten you, which suggests that they're running after other lovers. They're idolatrous. Your, your sins are flagrant. You're crying out to me, but your pain is incurable. Your guilt is great. I did this to you. I punished you. Therefore, 
we're expecting, now I'm going to squash you and it's over. No, therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured. Uh, I'm, I'm going to now visit my judgment on your enemies and I'm going to restore you to health. All right, this is an old covenant text, right? This is what God is talking about with his people. How does this relate to you and me? How does this help us enter God's courts with thanksgiving? Okay, he, he's the same. This is what our God is like. He's a God who restores his people. He's a God who exercises compassion towards us. He's a God as he looks at us and he sees that all our wounds are incurable and our guilt is great and our sins are flagrant. Nevertheless, he's going to destroy our enemies and he's going to restore health to us. He's going to bring salvation. And twice in this section I read, there, there are promises of a coming king. Now, one, you see in verse 9, <clears throat> these people God restores shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. So the, the great David to come. And then again, uh, in verse 21, their prince shall be one of themselves. Um, he's going to be one of us. What a staggering thing it will be that that will be, you know, the son of God coming to take flesh. Yeah, he'll, he'll rise from the Jewish people. He will be a ruler out of our midst. And then the striking statement, I will make him draw near and he shall approach me for who would dare of himself to approach me. Uh, only one who is God himself could, could dare to approach. But he will mediate for us and secure blessings for us. These are manifold reasons to come before the Lord with thanksgiving. You know, as we come to worship, as we reflect upon the whole responsibility in life to give thanks, are we mindful on a daily basis of the exercise of God's compassion towards us? That we have flagrant sins and incurable wounds, but the Lord has brought healing to our soul. That He's drawn us to Himself. It, it ought to stir us up to bless His holy name. Redemption's enough reason to give thanks to the Lord. But there are more reasons. There is His general work of providence. Turn to Psalm 9. Now, I could pick several episodes in David's life where we could reflect upon the, the providential care of God. I thought about reading when the ark is brought into Jerusalem and, and David has conquered his enemies and he's bringing the display of God's throne to the holy city. Uh, and he, he, he has the, um, the Levites established as singers to give thanks unto the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever because God is good. And then he rehearses some psalms about giving thanks. But I'm going to turn instead to Psalm 9. And I'm just going to read a little section of this. Um, let me read verses uh, one, to, 1 to 10. David is in trouble. We don't know the specifics in this particular situation. See if you can figure it out as I read. To the choir master, according to Muth Labin, the Psalm of David, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. 
You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice, and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What do we learn about giving thanks to the Lord in these few verses? Or to ask the question differently, why, why is David giving thanks like he is? What's going on? Yeah, so the Lord has risen to David's defense, whether it be a personal situation, and clearly there was. Can you remember a personal situation David, David was in where he was treated in an unjust fashion, in an ongoing way, with Saul, and the Lord brought deliverance. It was a long ordeal. It uh, might have been a decade or more that David is waiting and waiting and waiting, and Saul is trying to kill him 15 different ways you can read about in uh, 1 Samuel that, that David is assaulted by Saul's relentless pursuit. But then there's not just a personal element. There are nations coming against David. As he comes to the throne, um, who wants David dead? Well, the first enemy that comes to mind are the Philistines, right? They, they come to attack. And the Jebusites and the Moabites and the Edomites and the Amorites are all these ites who are coming against David. And he, by God's grace, is able to defeat them. But he recognizes... The Lord is the one who rebuked the nations. The Lord is the one who's risen up in righteousness. He sits on the throne. So David kind of looks at his life. He surveys the landscape of his experiences. And he sees, in the providence of the Lord, he's come to my aid over and over and over and over again. And therefore, I will give thanks to the Lord with what? How does he say it in verse 1? With my whole heart. What do you think he means by that? Everything within him. Yeah, it's similar to Psalm 103. You know, praise the Lord of my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name. Right? I, I want to engage my whole being in giving thanks to the Lord. I don't want anything held back as I come into his presence. Because he's done this personally for me and he's done this nationally for his people with me as their king. But I want you to note how the section I read, at least how he ends by putting these type of thoughts before all of God's people. David is, is in, in essence answering the question, is this only the stuff God, God will do for me as king? And how would 
verse 9 and 10 say that the answer is no? Okay, the whole nation is delivered. Uh, that's true, yeah. Anyone who puts their trust in the Lord. Okay, this now becomes, yeah, this now becomes a principle of who God is. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. That word, if to be oppressed here, is the idea of being crushed by violence or crushed by emotional pressure. The Lord is a stronghold for anyone being crushed. He's a stronghold, and note this, in times, plural, of trouble. Um, in any season of life where there's trouble, where you're in the crucible, you're being squeezed, the Lord is a stronghold. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Why should you give thanks to the Lord? You can give thanks for the particular act of redeeming grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can, you can give thanks that at that moment when you should have been cursed, Christ was cursed in your place. But you can give thanks throughout the entirety of your life because of the way God deals with His people. God is a God of providential care. He comes close to His people. To be a stronghold in a time of oppressed, uh, in a time when you're being oppressed, is essentially to be a hiding place where you can run to. So the, the arrows are being fired at you by the enemy, and you can run behind a covering, because the Lord Himself is that for you. Whenever your distress comes upon you, you can find a hiding place in the Lord. He's never forsaken those who seek Him. This is what He's like. And each of you, if you were pressed on the issue, you could probably bear witness that you have seen that this is true in your own life. You can think of times, particular seasons, when the Lord has drawn near to be a stronghold for you. Maybe you were emotionally crushed, and the Lord drew near to you and lifted you out of the doldrums. Or you were being slandered, or physically attacked, or some evil was being visited upon you, and the Lord rose up as your defender, or He came near to comfort you. This is God's providential care. He never stops being this way, and therefore we should give thanks. Let me look at a, another idea here. Uh, Colossians 2. So we should give thanks because of redeeming grace. We should give thanks for providential care, <clears throat> how our Lord doesn't change. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Jacob, would you read those two verses for us? Okay, the obvious part that we're focused on is that last part, abounding in thanksgiving. But, but notice it's connected to the other things that have been done. Um, this is a command to God's people. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, and I think that, that the intent of receiving Christ Jesus the Lord is you've received a body of doctrine concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and a way to live in view of Christ. And there are people at Colossae, verse 8, we'll flesh this out, uh, who are aiming to ensnare God's people with philosophy and empty deceit by human tradition, leading you another direction. So don't receive their human philosophies and empty traditions that are leading you away from Jesus. Rather, receive the Christ that was preached to you and the way you should live in view of the Christ who was preached. And then walk in Him. What is that? The, the Bible talks about walking a lot. But. Yeah, so there's a, this is a lifestyle of communion and faithfulness. Uh, so abide or keep on walking in the truths that you have received with the ethical standards you've been given. That's the idea. <clears throat> Rooted and built up in Him. So you've been, in essence, you've been uh, planted or grounded in these truths in Christ and you've been established in the faith, and the idea is now keep growing in those things. But then comes an affectional aspect. It's not raw duty. You're to do it abounding in thanksgiving. Now, what's the significance of the word abounding? Kind of like David says, Yeah. The sense of a, a cup that overflows, Right. You're just going to keep spilling over in Thanksgiving. He abounds in steadfast love, yeah. and therefore you're abounding in Thanksgiving to him who abounds in steadfast love. <clears throat> yeah, it does, it does mirror that. Um, so I, I want you to see here, you know, okay, we give, we give thanks to God for the particular act of redeeming grace. We, we, we've been saved, and we give thanks for that. We give thanks to God when we're in a crisis in times of trouble and we run to the Lord and we discover that He's a stronghold for us in our oppression and that He draws near when trouble comes, right? Or Psalm 46, you know, the Lord is our refuge and strength of a very present help in time of trouble. When trouble comes, God is easy to find is the sense of that text. But we don't just give thanks then. As we're walking in the Lord, as we're abiding in Christ, we're to be abounding in thanksgiving. What's the motive here? Why are we to be in an ongoing fashion, continually spilling over with thanksgiving? Okay, we look back to the exercise of Christ's love for us at the cross. We look to that continual love or that continual keeping grace. As we go on walking with the Lord, we're not maintaining our walk because of our own power. The Lord is keeping us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, we keep uh, seeing the benefits that the Lord has given us as the Spirit is instructing our hearts. And the Spirit Himself, according to Romans 5, 
is God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. So we have an ongoing demonstration of God's love as the Spirit is abiding with us. So we therefore abound with thanksgiving. Is that what we're doing? Uh, this book has been incredibly convicting about the lack of thanksgiving in my own life. And I, I mean, I'm a pessimist <clears throat> by nature. Um, I'm, I'm always thinking of the things to do and the things that haven't been done. But, but to pause and to consider what God has done and what he is presently doing and how he keeps me, how he sustains me, and how that must motivate my ongoing thanksgiving. That's what Paul's stressing. If you were to read the book of Colossians, <clears throat> which I would encourage you to do, is, it's only four chapters, you can read it sitting. I, I dare you to read the book of Colossians and to note how many times Paul brings up the issue of thanksgiving. Every chapter says something about it. All right, uh, two more things if we've got time. Um, for daily good gifts, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 1 to 4, but focusing particularly on, on verse 4. So Paul is telling Timothy of the trouble that is coming in the latter days, which have already begun in Paul and Timothy's day, but continue on. Josh, would you read verses 1 to 4? This passage reflects on what we might call the mundane and how even those mundane things ought to lead us to giving thanks. So we all can think of God's redemptive mercies, His providential care, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. But this is just the good gifts that God has given in creation that we are receiving, and we're to do it with thanksgiving. We might say this is the, the chair text for why we pray when we come to eat. Uh, because we are to receive everything that we have with thanksgiving, and it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, note the contrast. There are a group of people in the latter times who are coming who are departing from the faith, and they're devoting themselves to these deceitful spirits, so they're demonically influenced, the teaching of demons, and their consciences are seared. But what do they do? What, what are the kinds of things these false teachers are, are saying? <clears throat> okay, yeah, don't do those things. Look upon God's good gifts and don't see them as good gifts. They're, they're poisonous to you and reject them. And they're for, forbidding things like marriage, um, which is one of the first good gifts that the Lord gives to his people. <clears throat> so if there is a group of people who for, forbid marriage or look down upon marriage, they are demonically influenced. This is a failure to see the good thing that God has made. 
So are we receiving that with thanksgiving? They're requiring abstinence from certain foods um, that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Do we, do we know groups of people like that in the present day who require abstinence from certain foods? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Now, I mean, there are lots of foods I can't eat. It's not because I don't want to eat them. And I'm certainly not telling you you shouldn't. <laughs> uh, we should receive it with thanksgiving. Uh, we should, when we come to a meal, we should recognize the feast spread before us is a reason to give thanks because God has given us this good stuff to eat, this good stuff to drink. God has given these gifts. Are we reflecting upon what we might call the mundane, the daily expressions of God's goodness to us? The clothes that we wear, the places where we reside, the, the weather on a certain day, you know, if you want to really set people off, just talk about the weather. What, what happens when you talk about the weather to, with human nature? How does it express itself? Complaining. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too windy. It's too bright. What, you know, there's always the problem rather than seeing the thing that's good. Surely that's indicative of how rotten our hearts are, that we always are finding a reason to grumble about what God has given rather than seeing the goodness and what he's provided. These things are to be sanctified by the word of God in prayer. We, we pray with thanksgiving for the thing that God has given, and we recognize in his word that this is good, and we bless the Lord. Um, our thanksgiving could move into the daily sphere of existence if we did this kind of thing. And then lastly and, and briefly, uh, Philippians chapter 4 <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. We've talked about this text a number of times, but I just want to remind you. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Jeff, would you read that for us? Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so... When Paul writes to the Philippians, they're a church struggling with a number of issues. They're struggling with a spirit of rivalry in the church, of selfish ambition and vain conceit. There are some who are causing trouble for Paul by preaching out of a spirit of rivalry. There are other problems in the church. We've got a, a couple of ladies who can't seem to get along with one another. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Yodia and Syntyche, they... They can't seem to be reconciled, um, so we got infighting in the church. Paul will go on in uh, verses 10 and following of chapter 4 to talk about contentment and how he's learned to be content, which suggests that the Philippians are struggling with that issue. And he also speaks of provision, verse uh, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They're, they're a church, we learn elsewhere in Scripture, 
who has much poverty. So they're, they're struggling with a host of things. Philippians is yet a letter of joy. But Paul addresses some of their problem. How, how would you naturally respond if finances were tight, if you had family relationship problems, and pride was rooted in the church and their kind of a bickering spirit of rivalry? Um, what emotions might come out of you? Maybe anxiety? Uh, like you're stressed out? You're, you're stressed about the bickering on a personal level. You're stressed about the party spirit, the factions in the church. You're stressed about financial provision, all kinds of things. So Paul addresses that. And he tells them, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And it's more particularly uh, with the stress of the original, stop being anxious. Just let that sit with you a second. <laughs> I need, I need that verse. Stop being anxious. But he doesn't stop there. The, the, that's the problem, and you need to cease and desist. But he, he gives you the antidote. How do you stop being anxious? But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Okay, we all know when we're anxious, we're supposed to pray. But then it's qualified. How is it qualified? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving refocus your mind on God and on his good gifts to you and what he's done to you. You see what happens to us, much like Peter, when he walks to Jesus on the water in the storm. And so long as his eyes are on Jesus, he's fine. But he begins to look at the winds and the waves. And what happens to Peter then? He begins to sink. That's, that's us. That's exactly what we do. So in our anxious uh, state, we're, we're sinking and thanksgiving immediately refocus us on the Lord, on who He is, on what He's done. So in the midst of your affliction, whatever it is, you're still called to give thanks. And this is very much like uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, which you probably have memorized. Be joyful always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not necessarily for the thing but for the Lord in the midst of that thing, or how the Lord is going to use that difficulty to shape you, to bring, um, you know, to root you deeper in the faith. Trials come so that your roots grow deeper in the soil of faith and the soil of God's love. So as we, we reflect back on what we've learned in this book, what we've learned is, yes, it's good and right and wise to be a thankful people, and we can be thankful even in the midst of affliction. But I think even more practically, we've learned that we should give thanks for God's redemptive activity. We should give thanks for His providential care. We should give thanks for our ongoing growth in Christ and the abiding of the Spirit. We should give thanks for daily good gifts. Every day we're experiencing the blessings of the Lord and mundane things, and we can give thanks even in the crucible of affliction. Because there's no time in which God has, gonna, has been unfaithful to us. He does not forsake those who seek Him. So as we prepare to go to worship, I bring you back to Psalm 100. What, what is the duty? Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Well, may God help us to do that. But I hope that this book isn't left behind now that we're going to move on to something else. 
I hope that we'll actually um, do better about giving thanks to the Lord. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your abounding good gifts. And Lord, we confess in your presence that our thankfulness does not measure up to the good gifts that you have given. But Lord, we repent of our failure to thank you. And we pray that in the midst of worship, as we come into your presence, that we would come with a spirit of thanksgiving. We would come rejoicing in your goodness to us. And we pray that you would fill our hearts with joy. May we recount your wonders with our whole hearts. May we tell of your good things. May we extol you for who you are and what you have done. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.